Bible, go to Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9. We're going to look at verses 2 through 7 and, and words that will probably be familiar to you. Uh, words that we hear each, uh, each time, each year this, around this time. Um, and so what we're going to do this morning is, is kind of do an overview of this passage. And then uh, over the next few weeks leading up to Christmas Day, uh, we're going to break down what it means that Jesus, the promised Messiah, is um, the wonderful Counselor, the mighty God, the Eternal Father, and the Prince of Peace. Uh, but before we get there, I wanted to, to kind of set the stage for why this was so important for God's people to hear. You've heard us say a couple of times, uh, this is the first Sunday of Advent, and, and you, you might be wondering, well, what is, what is Advent? Maybe you've heard that word uh, throughout your life and just kind of, uh, you, you know, you, you associate Advent with Christmas, which, yes, that's, that's true and right, but um, the celebration of Advent goes back well beyond what we would know kind of as the modern celebration of Christmas. So uh, the Advent, or Advent comes from a Latin word that means coming. So it's the celebration of the coming of the promised Messiah. Um, now this, this practice of celebrating Advent goes back perhaps as late as the fourth century. Uh, so, so it goes back a long, long time. We're looking at 16 or 1700 years that this has been observed. And Advent originally began as a time of fasting. So not everything has stayed the same. Okay? Okay? Uh, but it originally began as a time of fasting. And, and sermons during Advent would focus on the wonder, the glory of the incarnation, of, of God becoming man. And by the time of the Middle Ages, um, four Sundays had become kind of the standard length of the Advent season. And, and since then, Advent has marked the beginning of the church year. And so if you grew up in a, in a liturgical, uh, in a church that had a more liturgical setting and maybe a Catholic or, or a Lutheran setting, if, if you have any kind of background there, um, this, this Sunday would actually mark the beginning of the church year. And so uh, let me just say, I think it's, it's acceptable for us to go ahead and celebrate a new year, okay? Let's put this one to rest and let, let's just begin a new, a new year, all right, right now. Uh, we don't need this last month. No, I'm, I'm just kidding. But, but this, this would begin the beginning of, uh, of the church calendar in Advent. And so we celebrate then in Advent the coming, the birth of the Lord Jesus. And while we do so, we also look forward to the second Advent, the second coming. Uh, because we know that Christ came and, and established the kingdom of God. We know that it is a given it's one, one illustration that I've used that's not perfect, but it works, I think, is that um, it has been paid for, and now we wait for its ultimate arrival. Maybe you understand that right now. You've bought something. You've paid for it. And now, either because you can't go into the store to pick it up, or because you're waiting on the UPS man to deliver that box from Amazon, we wait for its arrival. And that's where we find ourselves now. The, the kingdom has been inaugurated. It has been purchased. 
It is sealed. It, it, is, it is a done deal. Now we wait for its ultimate arrival in the second coming of Christ Jesus. And so as we turn our attention to celebrate the arrival, the birth of Christ Jesus, if you will, go with me to Isaiah chapter 9 and let's stand as we read the word of the Lord this morning. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 2 through 7. The word of the Lord says this, The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. A light has dawned on those living in the land of darkness. You have enlarged the nation and increased its joy. The people have rejoiced before you as they rejoice at harvest time, as they rejoice when dividing spoils. For you have shattered their oppressive yoke and the rod of their oppressors the staff of their oppressor, just as you did on the day of Midian. For every trampling boot of battle and the bloodied garments of war will be burned as fuel for the fire. For a child will be born for us. A son will be given to us and the government will be on his shoulders. He will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. The dominion will be vast and its prosperity will never end. He will reign on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and sustain it with justice and righteousness from now on and forever. The zeal of the Lord of armies will accomplish this. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the chance to gather together and to celebrate Advent. And like so much else that's happened this year, we know it's going to look different. And even though we may not be able to celebrate in the same way, will you help us to focus more intently on the true purpose behind Advent, that we celebrate the long-awaited, promised birth of the Messiah. Join us in this room. Join those who are watching us online. Speak to us through your word this morning. We ask all these things in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you. You have a seat. Now, nyctophobia. Anybody, anybody familiar with nyctophobia? No? No? Okay. Um, it's consistently listed among the biggest fears that human, that human beings have. So even if you don't know what that word means, it's, it's possible that you have it. Nyctophobia is the fear of the dark. Now, see, there's almost a universal understanding among us as people that darkness means something is wrong. Okay, You go back and watch, uh, if, you're, if you're a fan of horror movies, um, rarely... Does something sinister happen in broad daylight, right? When, when, when somebody walks into a dark room, you know that's going to end poorly. Darkness doesn't typically bring feelings of comfort and joy or good tidings, right? We see it in everything from the Lion King, from Mufasa telling Simba he must never go to the dark place, to Scripture which reminds us here in Isaiah chapter 9 that the people were walking in darkness. Dark and light are common metaphors in Scripture. 
In fact, uh, even into the New Testament, light will be used to refer to the things of God. Darkness will be referred to, be used to refer to the things that are opposed to the things of God. So for instance, 1 John 1.5, this is the message we have heard from him and declare to you, God is light and there is absolutely no darkness in him. Meaning God is pure. There is nothing, uh, nothing sinful, nothing off about his character at all. Absolutely no darkness in him. Now, maybe this year we can identify with a feeling of darkness. Maybe there's just this deep, foreboding feeling that something has gone terribly, horribly wrong. And so if that's you, as we, as we approach the end of this year, praise the Lord, uh, if, if you have just kind of felt that feeling of darkness this year, let me, let me encourage you that, first of all, you're in good company. In Isaiah 9, God's people understood what it meant to walk in darkness. See, in chapter 8, they were just promised that the Assyrians were going to invade, and, and Isaiah's writing to God's people in Judah. Let me, let me give you a biblical history lesson in about two minutes, okay? Uh, we know about the kingdom of uh, Saul and David and Solomon. That's referred to as the United Kingdom. After Solomon passes away, after Solomon dies, the, the kingdom of Israel splits into two kingdoms, the northern kingdom of Israel, the southern kingdom of Judah. Rather quickly, the northern kingdom of Israel is taken over by the Assyrians. Isaiah writing to Judah is watching this happen. And see, this is a fulfillment that God had promised to his people. In fact, see, he had promised them for many, many years that it would not go well for them if they continued to turn away from him. And after many, 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 many years of ignoring this warning, that promise was finally coming to pass. The northern kingdom of Israel is destroyed, and uh, about 150 years or so later, the southern kingdom of Judah is ultimately taken over by the Babylonians. See, what's happening is God's people are reaping the consequences of their continued blatant disobedience. And it's dark. But thankfully, that's not where the story ends. But in order to really appreciate the good news of the gospel, like so many things, we have to understand bad news. And so that's why the, the first point this morning simply is bad news precedes good news. Uh, you ever been told, well, I have bad news and I have good news. Which do you want first? Can, can I just encourage you? Always say bad news first. Always. Because most of the time, the bad news makes the good news even better. Okay? Okay. This is the case of Isaiah 9-2. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. A light has dawned on those living in the land of darkness. Now there's bad news. We've talked about that. God's people are going to be carried off in exile. Things will not be like they were before. 
In the case of the northern kingdom of Israel, it basically ceases to exist. The Assyrians come in, pummel everything, take over, and, and the northern kingdom is no more. When the Babylonians invade the southern kingdom of Judah, they, they take things a little bit differently. They, they come in and they, they essentially become an occupying force, but, but the people of God are able, for the most part, to continue operating, continue worshiping their God, continue living as they had. But it was not like it was before. But thankfully, it doesn't end there. It doesn't end with God's people being carted off into exile. Because we're told that the people who are walking in darkness have seen a great light. But sometimes I wonder when we get to the, uh, when we start talking about the, the gospel message, if we, if we rush past the bad news, because we don't want to make people feel uncomfortable. You know, we don't, we don't want to talk about sin, right? Because people won't, don't like that, and that might be offensive. But, but listen, without understanding that our sin has separated us from God, the, the good news of the gospel doesn't make any sense. Because if I don't understand that I'm separated from God, then what difference does it make that God sent Jesus to reconcile me to himself? We have to understand that sin has separated us. In fact, Spurgeon put it this way. and I, I was reading a sermon not related to this passage, but just some, some Christmas sermons, and I came across this uh, on Friday, and I thought, man, this is, this is perfect. It says this, If thou knowest thyself lost by nature and lost by practice, if thou feelest sin like a plague at thy heart, if evil wearies and worries thee, if thou hast known of iniquity the burden and the shame, see all, everything there is bad news, right? Feeling the weight of sin. Then look at this. Then it will be bliss to thee even to hear of that Savior whom the Lord has provided. In other words, what, what Spurgeon is saying here without the Shakespearean English is that when we truly feel the weight of sin, the message that God has sent a Savior is bliss. This is the message of the gospel. There's bad news. Our sin has separated us from God, but... As we know well in John 3.16, God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. And that's good news. When we come to realize that we were separated from God and the only thing that we deserved was eternal separation from him in a place called hell, the good news of the gospel becomes the best news imaginable. And here's where the good news is found. Promised to the people uh, that Isaiah is writing to about 700 years before the birth of Christ, the good news is found in a baby. Look at verse 6. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will be upon his shoulders. He will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. 
Now, on the one hand, we would probably say that we, we understand how this makes sense, right? In, in order for a deliverer to come, one would have to be born. It's the only way we arrive in this world, right? But also think about this for a second. No, now, now, we as, as a world tend to be kind of fascinated with, uh, with royal births. If you think back several years ago to um, Prince William and Kate's children, especially King or Prince George, the, the heir to the British throne, there was a lot of pomp and circumstance that surrounded that birth. There were, um, in fact, there was a lot of money offered to the first paparazzi photographer who could get a picture of the baby. So we get it. The, the, I mean, birth is a big deal. And yet, at the same time, consider the people who are hearing this. People walking in darkness. And they hear a child will be born. Now, just let's, let's consider this within the context of the year that we've experienced, okay? A really rough year. Imagine the announcement comes. Hey, we have... We, we, we have the promise of someone who's going to set everything straight. Everything that's wrong right now, COVID, the election nonsense, all of this is going to go away. And it's going to go away in a baby that is soon to be born. Wouldn't, wouldn't that be just a little bit frustrating? Especially within the context of the United States where that baby can't run for president until he's 35 years old. So, so just imagine that promise for a second, all right? Don't worry. When, when this child that's about to be born sometime within the near future reaches 35, he's going to set everything straight. I did the math. That would make me 72. Now, in our own country right now, we're having a hard time dealing with about three weeks of Election uncertainty. And here are people who have walked in darkness and will walk in darkness for the next 700 years before this promised child arrives. So how do we deal with that? With the, with the promise of, of one who will come and set everything right? And, and in a way, th this is exactly what we experience right now. We, we, we know that Christ came once and now we wait for him to come and set everything right again because we're promised that one day he's going to say enough and his kingdom will reign forevermore. We'll talk about what that looks like here in a few weeks. What do we do with promises that seem like they're still a long way off? How do we deal with this when we walk in darkness? Well, first of all, I think we, we remember the two realities. The first one found in John 1.14. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We observed His glory. 
the glory as the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. We need to remind ourselves that God fulfilled the first promise. Maybe not in the timing that his people wanted. Maybe not in the way that his people wanted. You remember uh, the disciples a few times tried to... uh, tried to convince Jesus that he just needed to go on to Jerusalem. You have a, a couple of times the, the people, it said, wanted to take him by force and make him king, and that's not why he came the first time. But just because he didn't meet the expectations of what the people had doesn't mean he didn't perfectly fulfill God's purpose for his life, his purpose for the first coming. So as we look back and we see that promise fulfilled, we can... Rest in this promise that we see in 2 Peter 3, 8 and 9. Dear friends, don't overlook this one fact. With the Lord, one day is like a thousand years and a thousand years like one day. If I could summarize that verse, it would be this. God does not operate according to your calendar. In verse 9, the Lord does not delay his promise as some understand delay but is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. Love that. The Lord does not delay his promise. Your translation, I think the NIV says the Lord is not slow in fulfilling his promises. In other words, in his time, everything will be fulfilled. We saw that in the coming of the, in Christ's first coming, and it's true of the second coming. In the meantime, we watch and we wait and we trust, believing that just as he came the first time, he will come again. Then we have this wonderful promise in verse 7. The dominion will be vast and its prosperity will never end. He will reign on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and sustain it with justice and righteousness from now on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of armies will accomplish this. You know, right now in in this election cycle, we are are looking at... um, what is most likely a transfer of power in, uh, from today, just under two months here in the United States. Now, um, in true 2020 fashion, this election has been a bit unusual. Did, did we expect anything less this year? But, but this year reminds us that even the best of human governmental systems is not immune to its share of chaos. Uh, Even though I'm I'm neither a prophet nor the son of a prophet, I found that out uh, when I made a prediction on the podcast that that I host with another pastor that the Cowboys would win on Thursday. Okay, so there, I am not a prophet. But I do think that when all is said and done, we're going to have a peaceful transfer of power, just as we have in every transition going back to 1789. Okay? 
But we see this year, even as we celebrate or mourn election results every four years, we, we need to be reminded that our earthly governments, while good, and while established by God, we, we see that in Scripture, God establishing governments, they're still broken. And that should make us long for this perfect, permanent king. That's exactly what Isaiah 9-7 promises. One whose reign will never end. It says the government will be on his shoulders. Its prosperity will never end. See, the good news about the, the ultimate kingdom of God that, that we're promised and guaranteed is that no virus can disrupt it. No rebellion will overthrow it. No unrighteousness will thwart it. That's good news. And, and here's the really cool part. Here, here's what the, the first advent tells us. That is that as followers of Jesus, we are already citizens of this kingdom. We live here only temporarily. Every funeral I do, I'm reminded, and, and I'll usually make this statement, that funerals are stark reminders that death is as much a part of life as anything else we experience. Just as true as I'm here standing before you today, unless Christ comes back, there will come a day where my life ends, and there will come a day where your life ends. And every earthly kingdom will come to pass. It was true of the Babylonians who overtook Judah. It was true of the Persians who overtook the Babylonians. It was true of the Roman Empire who ruled most of the known world for around 1,500 years. And yes, it's true of the United States as well. There will come a day when the United States won't exist. Either because we are overthrown, because we tear ourselves apart, or because Jesus returns and establishes his reign, and I don't think he's going to occupy the White House. So for followers of Christ then, our primary citizenship and therefore our primary concern is for the kingdom of God. In fact, I, I think that we become better earthly citizens and, and I would even say we become better Americans when we make the kingdom of God our first allegiance. Because the coming of Jesus that we celebrate in Advent reminds us that he has established a kingdom that will never end. We become citizens of that through the gospel. This is how Paul put it in Colossians 1.13. He has rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us 
into the kingdom of the Son He loves. Even though we were sinners separated from Him through Christ Jesus, the people who were in darkness have seen a great light. So folks, listen, even as we are to some extent, even as followers of Christ, we, we still walk in darkness. We, we, we still experience this life much the same way that any non-believer does. We're not immune to diseases. We're not immune to pain. We're not immune to loss. So as we continue walking through the darkness that is 2020, and whatever 2021 or 2030 or 2050 may bring, Let us remember that as followers of Christ, the light is dawned. Let us not lose heart. Let us not lose hope. But let us look to the Savior, to the baby born in a manger in Bethlehem who came to set right what was broken. Maybe you're here this morning or you're watching us online and you'd say, Kyle, I've never experienced that hope. I'm not sure I've been transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. I've never asked Christ to forgive my sins. You can pray this. It's a very simple prayer. No magic words, no magic formula, just a, a prayer to help you frame the words to ask Christ to forgive your sins, and it goes like this. God, I am a sinner. I want to be forgiven. I believe Jesus Christ, your Son, died for my sins and is alive right now. I turn away from my sin and now confess Jesus Christ as my Lord and receive Him into my life. I ask you, Lord Jesus, to control my life, and I thank you for giving me eternal life. It's that simple. If you'd like to know more about following Jesus, you can call or text that number. We'll get back with you. I'll let you know what that looks like today. Maybe you're here and, and or you're watching us online and you'd say, Kyle, I'm a follower of Christ. I know I've been transferred from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of the, the beloved Son. I have no, no question about that. Um, but this year has been rough. Feeling kind of beat up. First of all, let me say welcome to the club. Um, I understand. Join me. It, it's, it, we'll, we'll, we'll let it be rough together. But also let me encourage you, especially as we celebrate Christmas. Spend some time in the Word of God each day to help center our mind and our heart on Christ Jesus. If you use the, the YouVersion Bible app, there are several dozen Christmas reading plans. There are some that you can start on Tuesday and it will take you through 25 days leading up to Christmas. Let me encourage you, take some time. Maybe, maybe you just want to read the birth stories in each of the Gospels. But take some time. And what is going to be, as, as we, we know, a very different Christmas season 
That doesn't mean that in some ways this cannot be the most important Christmas that we've experienced because with so many of the peripheral things stripped away, that might allow us to focus on the true meaning of Christmas. May you experience as we lit the candle this morning the hope that the season, the celebration of Advent, the coming of Christ promises. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. Thank you for the chance to celebrate and remember the, the reason we observe Christmas is to remember that you sent Jesus to be the sacrifice for our sins. And the promise that that brings, that the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. A light has dawned on a people living in a land of deep darkness. So help us to focus on you, on the good news of the gospel, and help us to share that with those around us. Walk with us each and every day. Keep our eyes focused on you. We ask all these things in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.